Amen. Thank you, band. A busy weekend for our band. Uh, yesterday, Harvest Festival, and then uh, several of them were over at the Patriots Worship Service in Norwood, leading some of uh, the New England Pats in worshiping God, and then back again today. Let's, let's thank them for their work, shall we? <clears throat> I love our band. I love our church. Um, as been mentioned, yesterday was great, and I was just so blessed myself looking out at the, the energy and the optimism among all of our volunteers, even when we thought there was going to be a whole lot of rain coming down, and just the cheerfulness and greeting all of our new guests. I love this church, and one of the things that I love this church is not just who we are right now, but that we every single soul in here who calls this church home, folks, we stand in a long line. I, am, I love the, um, the commemorators. They put that timeline in the back. I love to just go and stand and read it and be humbled that I am a little dot <laughs> at best. A, you, you are a little dot on the timeline there. We stand on the shoulders of so many men and women who have come before us. Uh, this month, on, uh, at the end of the month, we're going to be celebrating, um, the Worldwide Protestant Church is gonna be celebrating one of the most significant uh, events in all of Christendom, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant, do you know? Protestant Reformation. So, so for fun, some of us, and I'm glad at least a, a number of us are familiar with the word, for some of us, this is a really big deal, okay? 1517 is when the whole thing got started. 1517, it, that's like 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's like, that's like 1776 for Americans. 1517, that is a forever and ever date for Christians. And some of us, we're kind of excited about this being that anniversary. Some of us, we're coming in here today. Maybe we're brand new to the church. Maybe we've been here for a while. We, we have no idea what the Reformation is. Um, if that is you, that is okay. No judgment here. No shame. Uh, but I am hoping that by the end of this month, uh, we're going to be a little bit more familiar with the theological and the doctrinal and the practical implications of the Reformation. So to that end, this morning we're going to begin a new study called Sola, Five Sermons on the Reformation. Sola is Latin for only or alone, and the five solas reference the five foundational rallying cries of the Reformation. Um, In the late 1500s, and indeed uh, for several centuries leading up to the 1500s, but certainly within the 1500s, there was really just one Christian church, what we would call today the the Roman Catholic Church, although it's very different today. Uh, And in that single church, both teaching and practice, so orthodoxy and orthopraxy, had become wildly corrupt. An atmosphere of religious toxicity reigned. And I mean financially within the church, the abuse is there. I mean sexually within the church, certainly with relation to, to doctrine. So out of that all was birthed the Protestant Reformation. It was a protest against corruption. 
Uh, so for the month of October, and I have never really preached this way before, so <laughs> here's hoping, uh, we're going to do um, a series that is like half history and half doctrine for these five Sundays. Um, Each Sunday, we're going to take one of the key doctrines out of the Reformation, and we're going to take one of the key reformers out of the Reformation and try and look at them in parallel. If you love history, you might love this series. If you love doctrine, you might love this series. If you are interested in neither history nor doctrine, (laughs) well, there's always November, folks. I'll see you then. <laughs> so uh, our first solo, uh, Sola, and the, really the, the one that all the others are then built upon is the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, or Scripture alone. So this is the conviction that we have one infallible authority in faith and in life. We don't just have one authority. We have lots of authorities in life. You guys know this. We have lots of places to go to get knowledge. Um, If I ever need heart surgery, I haven't needed it to this point, but if I ever do, I'm hoping for a surgeon who has not only read the Bible. (laughs) Hopefully they've read medical textbooks also. It would be great if they've read both. So there's lots of sources of knowledge and authority out there, but what we're saying with Sola Scriptura is there's one source that is infallible and inerrant and its authority upon our lives and upon our faith. And there was one reformer who loved this maybe more than any other, and it was a, a German by the name of Martin Luther. But I don't want to just talk about Scripture without first reading Scripture. So if you would, uh, take your Bibles and open up to the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy chapter 3. It's on page 996 if you're using one of the black Bibles. I'm going to give you this morning um, maybe the three most classic passages on the authority of Scripture, uh, and they're all going to be driving at one truth, that that Scripture is not speculation where we guess about God. It's revelation where God speaks to us. It's an important distinction. Scripture is not speculation where we guess about God. It is revelation where God speaks to us. So our first passage is from Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Remember, he was a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. This is Paul's very last letter before he is martyred, before his head is severed from his body by a Roman executioner. This is what he wanted to say to Timothy now at the end of his life. And this is just a couple of verses from that letter. If you drop your eyes in chapter 3 down to verse 14. Hear now the very word of the Lord. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here it is. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So much later in his life, Martin Luther, uh, he looked back over all that had passed, and he said this, quote, who would have divined 
that I would receive a bachelor's and then a master's of arts, then lay aside my law student's cap and leave it to others in order to become a monk. And that despite all, I would get in the Pope's hair and he in mine and take a runaway nun for my wife. Who would have predicted this for me? It's an incredible life. Luther grew up in the late 1400s, early 1500s during the rise of the German middle class. His dad wanted him to become a lawyer, uh, but when he was still fairly young, a late teenager, I think, um, he was traveling home. He was in the forest and a lightning bolt, he was caught in the storm, lightning bolt struck very, very nearby. Horse threw him, he landed on the ground. Luther, in his mind, he is not going to survive this storm. And so after the lightning bolt on the ground, he cries out to the heavens, to the saint, Saint Anne, save me and I will become a monk. It's amazing what can happen in the woods. <laughs> you go in a lawyer, you come out a monk. He was true to his word, though, unlike some of us who, you know, we make proclamations to God in the moment, and then we're like, we don't even remember it 24 hours later. Well, he, he actually left his law studies, and he did enter into a monastery and, quote, kept the rule so strictly, he recalled years later, that I may say, if ever a monk got to heaven by his sheer monkery, it was I. See, Luther, he took his religious vows so seriously that he wore out the men that he confessed his sins to. He was literally told, because of all of these confessions, he said, don't come to confession anymore, he was told, unless you do something really bad. (laughs) But you gotta understand, what drove that commitment was this is a guy, he, he took seriously what the church was telling him, and what he was realizing about his own human heart. He took seriously this increasing sense of the, the weight and the gravity of God's law, yet he had at the same time no sense of the sweetness of God's grace. What he possessed, I think we could say, is an honest assessment of his own heart that it was deceitful, and it was self-serving, and it was unregenerate. In other words, Luther admitted what so many of us like to ignore. So we had this growing realization that we're not sinners just because we sin, but there's a sin nature at the core of who we are. So what do you have then? Well, in his mind, you have a God who, like a tyrant, is demanding righteousness from people who are unrighteous. You have a God demanding of people what they do not possess and they cannot pay. Because of that, Luther said, I no longer simply feared God. I hated him. Now, the abbot at his monastery was a very kind man named Johann von Stopitz. And Stopitz recognized the potential 
in Luther's mind if he could get over his struggles. So he sent him to uh, Rome to study, except what happened in Rome is that Luther was not encouraged by being there at the very capital of Roman Catholicism, but instead what he engaged with there was a cesspool. What he observed was a cesspool of, of hypocrisy and facade, which only disillusioned him further. He was, however, now being educated in how to read the Latin Bible. For the first time, he had copies of the scriptures and the ability to not just hear others' opinions of them, but to actually read the scripture for himself in Latin. And so it was in 1515, while pondering uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 1, and some of you will recognize the reference here, that Luther read this. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, say it with me, the just shall live by faith. And he later reflected, quote, at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of those words, the righteous shall live by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. I extolled my sweetest words with a love as great as the hatred with which I had before hated the words righteousness of God. Thus, that place in Paul was for me the very gate to paradise. For Luther, how were the gates of heaven thrown open? It was the Bible. It was Scripture alone, breathed out by God, which we just read a few moments ago, and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. And folks, if you're a first-time guest, again, welcome, super glad you're here, or if you're a long-time member, be reminded or learn now, this is a core doctrine at MCC. Maybe the core truth by which all other truth is known. That scripture is not speculation where we guess about God. It is revelation where God speaks to us. Five centuries ago, through the exact same Bible you're holding in your hands, albeit a different translation, God revealed himself to a student named Martin Luther. And the world was changed. See, whenever we use that word doctrine, a danger is that we're going to begin to think about these things as if they're like abstract theological principles. And they're not. They're not. These five solas were hammered out on the anvil of real life and real death. Because if, if people are taught the nature of God wrongly, those same people can be abused in the name of God horribly. 
History has proved this out. I'm going to give you an example in just a moment. That if people are taught the nature of God wrongly, those same people can be abused in the name of God horribly. So, Here's Sola Scriptura in a nutshell. This is right out of uh, Westminster Confession, chapter 1, circa 1640s. Quote, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or, by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. And that phrase right there, traditions of men, I want you to slip that into your back pocket for a couple minutes here. And then I want you to flip to uh, our second text, which is in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is pen, uh, page 1018 in the Black Bibles. Peter's second letter, chapter 1. Once you get there, drop down to verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Who wrote the Bible? Well, if I'm teaching little kids, here's how I answer that question. Holy men carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's who wrote the Bible, right out of that verse. Holy men carried along by the Holy Spirit, which means the traditions or the flawed teachings of man do not carry the weight of God. And that was something that was wildly misunderstood in Luther's time, and quite honestly, depending on who you're talking to, wildly misunderstood in our own time as well. Here's what was going on back then. Pope Leo, he's the head of the whole whole church, right? And Pope Leo is uh, cash poor because he has really expensive tastes. Uh, He was trying to build, uh, among his own uh, personal coffers, he was trying to build St. Peter's Basilica, which you guys are familiar with that, even if you don't know the name. Whenever they show like stuff happening at the Vatican on CNN or Fox News, that's the big giant courtyard with the giant obelisk in the middle, and then all those expensive buildings wrapped around it there uh, at the Vatican. So he's trying to build that up. Um, It was a massive undertaking with builders and artisans like Michelangelo, who did not come cheap, apparently. He's working on the Sistine Chapel, all the other uh, uh, architecture around there. And so he needed cash. So Leo enlisted the skills of a very gifted showman by the name of Johann or John Tetzel. And this entire money-making scheme was birthed out of that and wrapped around the sale of indulgences. What's an indulgence, Trav? Glad you asked. Indulgences had their roots in the 1200s, the Crusades. Uh, man, I could tell you some stories about that, but we do not have the time. Now, by the, by the time we get to the 1500s, indulgences were essentially little paper certificates that if purchased 
promised that you could borrow from the, the good work or the merit of dead saints and, depending on in whose name you purchased it, you could apply their good work to yourself or a loved one or even a dearly departed loved one and you could then save some of the punishments of the afterlife. It was a gross perversion of God's grace. Why did people believe it? Well, how many televangelists and false teachers have we believed in our own day? Essentially selling God's grace in their own way. I'm just going to need your visa or your American Express number. Um, In addition, what's more is that in the 21st century, there was a time, this was a time, uh, you got to remember, in our own time, we forget rather that in the 1500s was a time when people were uh, largely illiterate. And even if you could read the Bible, there were very, very few copies to be found. And even if there was a copy to be found, it was in a language you would never understand. It was written in Latin. In other words, people believed the lies that they were told because they had nowhere else to go. So um, entire traveling productions were produced and introduced with all kinds of people trained by Tetzel or him doing himself, hawking these indulgences and uh, using up the money from the poor. Uh, There were even jingles uh, that were put together. One of them, uh, it's kind of stood the test of time. As soon as your coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. I want to show you here a couple of scenes from a movie titled Luther. It's about 15 years old. It's an excellent movie, by the way. Um, uh, it would starred Ralph Fiennes and Alfred Molina. It's wonderfully historically accurate. And th- this scene here in particular, this is taken for us right out of eyewitness accounts. Have a look. the banners until the fire ignites. Everything has been prepared, exactly as you instructed. Good people of Uteberg. Have you ever burned your hand in the fire? Even one finger made raw by the flame will torment you throughout the night. Is it not so? Imagine then. Your entire body burning. Not for one sleepless night. Not for a week. But for all eternity. Are we to be spared the fires of damnation on the judgment day? Tonight, your Pope, the Vicar of Christ, sends you a gift 
a gift to save you from such fires. A special indulgence granted for the building of St. Peter's Church in Rome. Take heed the words of your Holy Father who says, lay a stone for St. Peter's and you lay the foundation for your own salvation and happiness in heaven. How? With this indulgence. When? Tonight. And only tonight. Seek the Lord while he is near. God-fearing man, do you have a coin for Christ? Yes. comes, make certain your crippled child can run to Jesus. These learned monks are standing by to write down your name or the name of a loved one, dead or alive, on this. Your passport to the celestial joys of paradise. Some of our, our younger um, folks in here, you know, you watch a scene like that and you, you wonder how could this be so captivating, right? Because of all the, the hoopla and the razzle-dazzle we have today. And I, it was so helpful to me on a missions trip several years ago where um, we were working with a bunch of kids who had essentially no television. That really wasn't at all present in their life. And, and certainly there was no uh, screen time with pads or iPhones or anything like that. And, and, and one single puppet for an hour and 10 minutes, absolutely captivated a room of over 100 kids. These shows with, you know, with the banners and the, you know, the burning of the hand and the whole thing, this stuff was put together. It was a practice to abuse the poor and fleece the weak. And that was what finally did it. This new Christian, his name was Martin Luther, and he wrote up a list of 95 complaints, call them the 95 Theses. They were mostly focused on the sale of indulgences. In October 31st, 1517, All Hallows' Eve, which was the day that pilgrims would um, file past in the churches, you know, the relics and the bones of the dead saints, hoping to get some of their righteousness applied to them. So on that day, October 31st, 1517, Luther took those 95 theses and he walked up to the church door in Wittenberg and he nailed them upon the door, which is not quite as provocative as it sounds. The church door was actually something of a bulletin board for the community. Luther's hope was to begin to stir up 
some dialogue around these abuses that were happening in the church against the poor, against the uneducated. What he did not anticipate was that because of the invention of Gutenberg's printing press in the late 1400s, those 95 theses in a span of two weeks were all over the entire nation. In two months, those 95 theses, copies were all over all of Europe. And that was the launch of the Protestant Reformation. He ignited a Reformation. Why did he do it? Because Scripture is not speculation where we guess about God, but rather revelation where God speaks to us. Luther believed this, that Scripture is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3. That, that scripture was written by holy men carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1. And then last one and we're out, Hebrews chapter 4. This is page 1003 in the Black Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4. Sola Scriptura. If scripture alone really is our only infallible authority in life and in faith, then how does it work? What does it do? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In seminary, I had a, a professor who had no patience for pompous students who um, would talk about the Bible, but they didn't know their Bible. They might even try to tell their beliefs to others, but they never let the scripture speak for itself. And so my professor used to say, uh, based on this passage that I just read, if scripture is a two-edged sword, he said. Stop waving it around and stick it in. (laughs) And that's exactly what Luther did. He stuck it in himself first. By reading God's word, Luther learned, we are not saved by prayers to Mary. We are not saved by going to confession with other sinful men. We are not saved by the bones of the saints or the the purchase of certificates. Rather, we learn that in Scripture alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, we are saved to the glory of God alone. One Reformation, five solas, Luther's 95 theses, and his teaching of the gospel thereafter, it ignited a Reformation. And it ignited a firestorm in the process. Luther was branded, quote, a wild boar in God's vineyard. They had a way with imagery back then. Pope Leo issued a papal bull, which is a, um, an official uh, like document summoning Luther. Um, and in 1521, at the Diet, or uh, that means assembly, at the Diet of Worms, Luther appeared before Charles V. This is the emperor of the entire Holy Roman Empire. And the whole entourage. This is a big deal. 
and piled up in front of him were all of Luther's writings, and it was demanded that Luther give an account and that he recant all of his teachings. And in the most famous speech in all of the Reformation, Luther said this, Since then, your serene majesty and your lordships seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict themselves. I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. If I had another 30 minutes, I'd tell you, I could, man, I could go on with this stuff. I'd tell you about Luther, his life now under a death warrant, is kidnapped by his friends and smuggled to Castle Wartburg where he's basically in exile for two years and he takes those two years to translate the New Testament out of Latin into German so that the entire nation can have God's word on their own laps, studied by themselves to see if what they're hearing is true. If I had a little bit more time, I'd tell you about his romance with Katharina von Bora, a trained brewmeister of Luther's favorite beer, Einbecker. And more importantly, she was a runaway nun, smuggled out of the nunnery in a fish barrel. Had a passionate marriage, six kids, adopted six more. He called her Katie, my rib. (laughs) If I had more, there it is. (laughs) It's Genesis 2, people. If I had more time, I'd tell you about the Augsburg Confession and the Peasants' Revolt. We're out of time, so let me simply finish with this. You and I live in a time and in a place where we are largely bereft today of any trusted source of authority. We got all kinds of authorities around us, but a trusted source of authority. Whether it is NFL players kneeling for the anthem, whether it's the story of a president and his Twitter account and a collective sigh grips us all, whether it's health care reform that wasn't or isn't, whether it's the story of marriages that are hurting or churches that are in crisis, we often don't know when to trust, where to turn, Or who can tell us what is real? Reformation. It may be 500 years old this month. I think that it could not be more relevant or more current than it ever was. Sola Scriptura means that we have one inerrant and infallible source of our authority. Because Scripture is not speculation where we guess about God. It is revelation 
where God speaks to us. Let us give ourselves to knowing it. Carl. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame. Grace